following is a conversation with Pablo Alabok, also known as Pasha. He's an extremely motivated guy who carries the interest of others before he carries his own. It was fun learning about the life of a European in America, but most importantly, he taught me the true meaning of being a service-minded individual. I hope you guys enjoy this one, and now, dear friends, here is Pasha. You do IT, right? Yes. Yeah. So, the so most like, part. Yeah. So what do you do? Like explain, because I'm very into like IT and programming and whatnot. So I was saying that I do multiple functions. I'm the link between normal people and IT people. You're the what? The link between normal people and IT people. Explain. So my function is more of a project manager product owner and a consultant. I guess there will be a mixture of three. So that's what I do. Um, I used to code somewhat back in college, quite a bit actually, uh, but that's in the past. More Now it's more of a project management functions rather than actual hard, hard codes and stuff. Did you do like a lot of like deep programming or is it just like surface level what is what is deep programming <laughs> that's a good question um i guess would you like say you do like back end and then front end so like full stack um i would say that's that will be more surfacey stuff surface. i mean to be completely honest whenever you understand how an algorithm works or actually how any programming language works it's it's pretty transferable to any other programming language, right? Like the moment when you learn C or C sharp or C plus um, plus, that's that that same logic will be apply, applicable almost in any other algorithm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a question of libraries and question of complexity of the project. Right. It's just like, like in life, like the more languages, you know, like if you know really well Spanish it would be by default a lot easier to catch up on Portuguese, Italian, French, because it's all Latin based language, right? Right. Same thing with, uh, with programming languages. Mm -hmm. Are you planning on learning Spanish? I am actually, I do speak Romanian, which is very similar to Spanish. Wait, really? Yeah. So when you guys speak Spanish with no dialects or no, um, street Spanish, uh -huh. like proper spanish i can I, I probably understand about 80 percent of the conversation really uh-huh yeah, i have to be more careful around you then <laughs> <Alberga. laughs> <laughs> i didn't know that does Rom romanian also come from is it also like latin based? it is a latin based language yes i don't know that and remind me where you're from again i am coming from moldova which is a country in Eastern Europe between Romania and Ukraine. Right. So I have a question. I know you love telling that story about how you, that, you didn't know like a single word of English and you still came to sell books. Why? Why? Why did I come out to sell books or, or, or why I did not know any English? <laughs> yeah. Like what made you say, you know what, like, let me just jump in and like do this. Great question. Um, here is, I'm a very logical guy in that regards. Mm -hmm. Well, like with anything in life, it's all about practice, right? You know how they say that in order to become really good at something, 
you need to dedicate and put in about 10,000 hours, which is true almost to anything we do in life. So with not speaking English, logically, it made sense that in order to become better at speaking English, I need to speak English, right? Yeah. So when I was selecting a job to do in 2010, I've seen all this, you know, lifeguarding and housekeeping and all these other regular normal jobs. But when I've heard about Southwestern, it did make sense to me logically that that will be an avenue that will help me improve my English speaking skills a lot faster than any other job you can think of. Because yes, you do have a script. Yes, you do have to follow a system, but you still have to adapt to every single situation, right? You need to learn how to listen and understand what people say and respond back accordingly. I did struggle a lot my first five weeks, especially working in the South, in Memphis, Tennessee, when people have a pretty thick Southern accent. Mm -hmm. But as more you talk to people, as better you become at speaking and listening. Mm -hmm. It actually only took you like five weeks to start getting good at the job. Yeah. On week five, probably, I still remember it was mom's week. On Sunday, I went to All You Can Eat Buffet. I got food poisoning to the point where I couldn't stand up. I mean, I've been in the bathroom the whole night. Huh. And in, in the morning when I tried to stand up and go to work, I couldn't jump out of bed. Like I couldn't even roll out of the bed. So I stayed a little bit longer and my oil told me to stay at home and go and see a doctor. And I stayed at home, took some medicine and I was like, I'm not going to skip a day of work. So I just went on working. It was probably like 10 30 AM when I got to work. And I remember I knock on the door and once people start talking to me, it actually like the sales talk became a part of me. So it started becoming as a conversation. And I was like, wow, this is actually kind of cool. Like that was the moment when actually it did click. Week mm -hmm. five, yeah. It's interesting that you say that it became a part of you and it became a conversation. I feel like even if people know English, a lot of people struggle to make it a conversation. Why, why do you think people go through that struggle? That's a, that's a very interesting and, good, and a good question. Is because... I do think, to be completely honest, um, I do think, Renato, this job, a lot of people overcomplicate. This job is difficult, but it's simple. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Our job is to show up, to be physically and mentally and emotionally present for 12 to 14 hours to 15 hours every day and see as many people as possible and give them an opportunity to see our products and especially to determine if it's something for their families or not. And we need to do it with the best attitude possible. What people, some people make this job, they make it feel like almost this is like 
we're going to a battlefield, you know, we're going to fight Mrs. Jones, which is not really. You're actually are running a business. Mm -hmm. You're running a business from like literally getting a license, you know, establishing your business. Then like in any other business, you find clients. And if you do a really good job with that, for some reason, yeah, there you go. For some reason, there is a noise. Okay. Um, personally, Sorry about I don't know if it's something that you're doing or not, but anyways. Um, basically, yeah, like with any other business, you get clients, and if you get really good clients, or not, if you do a really good job with your clients, they will start talking about you to their friends, right? And if they start talking to their friends, the word of mouth travels a really long way. Their friends would like to get to know you as well. And that's how you become very popular in the community where you work. So just that shift in the mindset is like, hey, I'm here to show you what I got. And if you like it, great. I'll explain you how you can get those books. If you don't like it, no big deal at all. Just give me five minutes and see what I've got. Either way, I promise you, we will be friends. I'm going to leave you in a great mood either way. I really don't care if you buy or not. What I do care about, though, if your kids will use those books or not. Let's get book kids here. Let them see the books. If they like it, great. If not, no big deal. I'm out. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. To do it for 14 hours a day and be present physically and a lot more importantly, mentally and emotionally, that's when the difficult part comes in. To be focused for 14 hours every day, it's not that easy. Right, yeah. I feel like a lot of people struggle with that. Uh, staying present. Um... I still did not answer the question why, why some people whose English is first language have struggles with that. It was because they don't understand the why bit behind how. Again, this is my personal opinion, but subjective personal opinion um, is that people don't understand why every sentence is there in sales. Mm -hmm. Right? And you can call what we sell books, you can call it systems, you can call it educational help, whatever it is, is the same thing, right? But yeah, people are just so tied up into like, oh, this top producer says I'm talking to all the parents and teachers in the area instead of I'm talking to all the moms. Does it really matter? What you really mean by that sentence is you're talking to all majority of the decision makers, right? Mm -hmm. And you're adapting to your area. I know one friend of mine, um, Vasil, you probably have seen him on JRS. At some point, he was working a really high income, and most of the kids were genuinely doing really well in school. So he had to adapt his approach and say that I'm talking to all the uh, school athletes and all the you know straight A students here in the area, showing some really cool educational tools to help them save time on homework. You know, like it's all about being flexible. One of the reasons why our company did really well throughout COVID 
is because we're flexible enough to adapt really quick while other companies did struggle with that. Mm -hmm. right. So being more, a bit more flexible, flexible and, and adaptive, adaptive, I guess, is that the word? Right. You meant you've like briefly mentioned how people don't understand like why the sentences that we have are there. What do you think? How, how can someone like understand those things? Oh, that's an easy answer. Go to LMS and check out those videos on LMS, baby. It <laughs> all explains it. And if you still don't understand, go and talk to your DSL. Your DSL will very well explain why the cell stock is, is structured the way it's structured and why every sentence is there. Mm -hmm. You also like touch how you need to take 10,000 hours to become a master at something. Yeah. There's actually a really good book that explains about that. Have you read the outliers? I have not, but it's on my list of to read books. Mm -hmm. It's a very good one. And it basically just goes on about people who went through that 10,000 hour process. And it kind of like tells their story. People like, like Bill Gates is one of them. I read it a long time ago, so I forgot, but it's pretty cool. Um, when you came from from Europe, what was like the biggest like culture shock? Uh, what is something that like as soon as you got to the United States, you said, "Yeah, these people are kind of weird." Well, that's a good question. First of all, we take our shoes off in Europe when we walk into somebody's house. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, I realized that people don't walk here at all like in europe most of the stuff is either walkable distance or you take public transportation or taxis i mean not everywhere but majority of places here if you don't have a car good luck have fun and when you ask people for directions and they tell you oh it's just five minutes down the road they don't mean it by walking. They mean it by driving. Yeah. And that what happened with me in my first summer. I got a really big, really bad chafing. And somebody stole my bike. Well, not stole, but the police took my bike away. So I asked, where is that police station from a lady? And she told me, oh, yeah, five minutes down the road. Took me an hour and a half to get there. With chafing. Not the most enjoyable journey. Trust me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, and the fact that people use AC everywhere. Back in Europe, we don't, I mean, very few places have AC. I mean, now probably a lot more, but back in 2010, not too many people have ACs everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is it more like, do they have ACs now? Some play, most of the places do, but we have windows that we open <laughs> and get the fresh air <laughs> i feel like europe is a lot like cooler though isn't it um for most part yeah mm -hmm. for the most part yeah. what about where did you grow up i grew up in mexico where at in monterrey monterrey oh no, really actually cool. i didn't grow up there actually i was born there but i grew up in tamaulipas the state uh-huh which is like boring in Leon. Um, and then, you know, narcos came in. It got pretty hectic there. 
so my family and I actually moved to Texas mm-hmm. here in Texas and I live I lived in McAllen I don't know if you've been to McAllen yep yeah I haven't been but I know that place very well the valley huh the valley yeah yeah how do you know about it Edgar, <laughs> Edgar really yeah yeah so I lived there I, I moved there when I was seven and then now I'm in Austin nice but, but yeah it, uh, so throughout my life I, I feel like i've lived in pretty hot areas so so i'm glad we had acs <laughs> but yeah. uh what about the food though like did you enjoy the food when you got here or was it too too different so i need to convert that well people who won they will convert by themselves but basically up until 2012 my first summer was in 2010 right Mm-hmm. Up until 2012, as hard as I would try to gain weight, I was really skinny. As as hard as I would try to get gain weight, I would not be able to do that. So when I got to the States, I was eating little, I was a trash can. Like fast food, sodas every day. It was just bad, really bad nutrition. Because my weight would never overpass 70 kilograms which is for a guy who is 6'4", 70 kilos is probably about, I want to say 160 pounds. You're 6'4"? Not at all. What's that? You're 6'4", you're, you're and you only weigh 160. Yeah, let me see what that is in pounds. 154 pounds. No way. I'm like yeah. 150, man. What the yeah. hell? Yeah. Yeah, so... I was like, oh, that's a great opportunity to gain weight. Mm-hmm. But your first summer, you're on a bike. So every single bit of food that you eat actually goes into burning on a bike, right? Mm-hmm. So I did not get a lot of weight my first summer and second summer. But third summer, that's the moment when I actually jumped for the first time in my life. And I surpa- surpassed the limit of 176 pounds. And yeah. Now I'm probably like close to 200. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm actually in a pretty good shape now, like comparing to back when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But again, um, food-wise, it's just it was just fun to see how people eat. And, you know, every country, every culture has some stereotypes that were formed from mass media, books, or whatever, movies. So obviously... Uh, you know, a lot of people will say that fast food is a big deal in America, and I could see why. But at the same time, I worked in a very nice area of Memphis, Tennessee, like a higher income. And people actually have some really good quality food. And I was like, this is not really true, what they show us in movies. Liars! <laughs> <laughs> and then I was happily introduced to Mexican food. And now every time when people are asking me what is the best food in, in America, I said Mexican food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yes, tacos, tamales. Tamales, enchiladas. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes. You can see your face right now, bro. Um, <laughs> rep, you, for how many summers did you, did you sell? 12. 12 summers? Yes, sir. Okay, and so you worked every type of like turf. Every I worked in like probably twelve or fifteen different states. 
in about 30 different cities. Mm -hmm. I worked in places deep country, Arkansas, where you have to drive almost 30 to 40 minutes between every house. Really? With no roads, no windows, no doors. Houses with like, I mean, it was very poor, deep country, Arkansas. And I worked in Mercer on Mercer Island, where back in 2015, the cheapest property you can get is not even a house; it's a shed for 1.4 million dollars. Oh, yeah, better. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. No problem. Yeah. So, um, I guess I know they say turf doesn't matter, and I already asked Jack this, but how do you adapt to like those different type of turfs? Because I feel like there's going to be, like, definitely, like, a little switch you're going to make, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, my first summer, it's my, this is my personal theory, okay? Subjective, again. Yeah. I do have a theory that people form the misconception that turf does matter based on their first summer where they had their best week their first summer. Mm -hmm. So, whenever you have the best... The turf where you're gonna have where you have your best week or first summer, that's the turf that you kind of like working a lot more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Right? My first summer, my best week was in a big break uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. In my little territory, I had 28 private schools. Okay, and Back in 2010, it, those schools will go from like four grand a month to $20,000 a year for a high school student. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of money, a lot of money. Yeah. But that being said, my second summer, I was put in a tiny little town, not too far from Richmond, Virginia, called Ashland, which at that point back then in 2011, 65% of people in the town were retirees. So I had to adapt to learn how to sell grandparents and working countryside and work, work in trailer parks. There was, there was a point when my DSL, uh, former DSL Pierce, he, I gave him a call in the morning for stats and I was just complaining that he put me in an old people's turf and it was like week eight. And he was like, all right, Pasha, that's it. You were done with that. Stop making excuses. Go and figure it out. You're smart enough to figure it out. I was like, okay. And I went and just like, just had this wish in my brain that, okay, let's, let's figure it out. It's a puzzle that we have to figure it out. Third summer. Uh, so my first time was Memphis, Tennessee, where majority, like 90% of people were white. My third summer, I went back to Memphis and I worked right next to the territory where I worked my first summer. And that summer was really funny because nine out of 350 customers, I had just one white customer and two Mexicans. All the rest were Afro-Americans. Okay. Uh -huh. Fourth summer, that was deep country, Arkansas, like really, really deep country. So a lot of driving, figured it out. Then fifth summer was Colorado Springs, typical suburbs, like just subdivisions over subdivisions over subdivisions. Fifth summer, 
was Washington State, Mercer Island, and Maple Valley. You know, high educated engineers, very, very smart people. Then it was Fresno, California, which was majority Mexicans. Um, then the next summary was again Stockton, number two, highest ranked. Actually, I think they were number one. No, no, number two after Detroit. Uh, highest crime rate in the U.S. Still, it's fine. It's like those are pockets, right, in every city. If yeah. you look for trouble, you're going to find trouble. And then San Jose, California, where the cheapest door we will knock, even a small regular door, is like a $1.something million house, which is a lot of smart people. And then finished up last two summaries in Washington and Idaho which is all white. So worked in every possible culture, religion, income type of turf you can think of. It's all about using your brain. It's all about using your brain. For example, when we're working in Fresno, I was working in a little town called Sanger, California, mm. where there will be high school kids that will wake up at 4.30 or 5 a.m. to go with their parents to the field to collect fruits and veggies or whatever they had to, you know, pick in the morning right. to help their parents out. And they will come home at about 2 p.m. So that was my pre-gravy. I would do like an hour of gravy or two hours of gravy between 2 and 2 and 4. And then I will start, I will open the streets until almost 7 p.m. And then I will go back and do my evening gravy from 7.30 or even sometimes 8 till 10. Right? Yeah. And I had a guy who was working right next to me. And his biggest, uh, his biggest business was the, um, the warehouses for vegetables and fruits. The parents will always get home at about... 3.30 p.m. So he will have to start gravy a lot earlier and then do kind of the same thing like as I did. So you adapt, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes like, for example, my last summer, I had guys, um, I had the biggest business in town. I worked in Lewis Clark Valley, which is Idaho and Washington, like on in their bordering, their border towns. The biggest provider for work was uh, the the paper mill, and sometimes people there there will be people like dads that will work four days in a row, and he they will have three days off, but they will work like fifteen or twenty hour shifts. Mm -hmm. I had to adapt to that. Like I will I will schedule the appointments based on when people are available. Again, you run your own business. You 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 figure it out. Something that really shocked me was the fact that you sold, I think you said it was your first summer, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was, it was high schools, it was private high schools that were about 4,000 to 12,000, you said? 20. To 20,000. Yeah. How do you, how do you sell to that? Because it, it, I mean, sure, you can say they're already open to the idea of investing in their kids' education because they're doing it, but it, it feels like, I mean, if you're paying for that much, that the school would have like all the resources the kids have, right? They do. It's a question if kids use those resources or not. And again, you 
you, you using your brain and adapting. You ask the right questions and see what the need is. And with private schools and higher income, you have to endure first few days until you get a couple of names. The moment you have names, you are in a you are in heaven because people will barely give you any money objections. No, never. They actually don't give you any, any money objections at all. The moment you get sit-downs, you know they're going to buy. You just have to connect really well with the kids. Mm-hmm. Dropping names, showing pictures, um, and yeah, good, asking good questions. And again, if kids are not using the book, if kids will say that they're not going to use the books, why would I waste my time? Right? Like if kids are ju- is just not for them, and you show them the products and you you know that you connected with the kid really well and they genuinely tell that you that I see how I can use them, uh, how, how my friends can use it, but I don't see it's for me. Um, yeah, try to tell them stories and paint some vivid pictures of the, how they can use it. And if it doesn't click, it doesn't click, you know? Yeah. And one thing that I do believe helps a lot is each one of us have to figure out how would we use those products ourselves? Because if you know how you would use those books yourself, you can tell those stories and paint really good pictures to those kids when you bump into them. Mm-hmm. You know? So go into the LMS and look at the product knowledge, huh? Correct. Exactly. <laughs> thanks for thanks for saying that. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And actually taking out our sample book and reading through the book. Ideally, actually taking real books and reading through them. Right. Did you ever like buy like the products yourself and just like skim through them? Yeah, I have them here in my office. Really? Yeah. I can't see it in the camera, but I actually have like a core four right there. I haven't opened them though. I'm gonna be honest. I'm I'm that kid. Yeah. That don't doesn't use them, but I, I I'll get to it. Um, let's go to like your because you said you well you told me before this that you hit ten thousand units. How about that? Let me, let me do something really cool with you together. Open the math books. You want me to actually open up a math yeah, book? Yeah, crack the math books. Yeah. Okay, give me a second. <laughs> and go to the advanced algebra section, which is the green color on the bottom. Do you want me to get volume one or volume two? Volume two, please. <sighs> okay, I'm right here. You want me to go uh, where? To the to the green section where the sunflower is, but please cover this box with your hand and don't read what it says in it. Okay, the sunflower, the green section. What what's the subject matter? Where 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 is the sunflower? It's right at the beginning of algebra two, and just don't read what it says in the box. Cover it with your hand. Give me a second. Okay, I'm here. 
Yeah. Show me. And cover it with your hand. Okay. Question is, do you know what how is sunflower, what sunflower has to do with advanced algebra? I do. Why? Because it has to do with functions. Okay, but why? What 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 is what functions like? What is what is the deal with it? Does it have to do with logs? I don't know. Actually, I don't know. Tell me. Now go ahead and read read out loud what it says in the box. Okay, I'll read it to everyone. Yeah. The seeds of a sunflower grow in spiral spirals in opposite directions. The numbers of spirals in each direction are consecutive numbers in the Fibonacci sequence. I swear to God. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I was gonna, I was gonna mention Fibonacci, because I know, like, I know that thing is like everywhere, even in the like, Mona Lisa. But um, I don't know. Like, I didn't expect them to be in sunflowers. Yeah, and there are a ton of very cool facts in our books. Like, our books are pretty awesome. Like uh -huh. reading through that stuff really helps out. And you mentioned that to people in in the summertime. To the high school kids and it's like, what you go like yeah mm -hmm. See, you learned today something new <laughs> do you really like math i do i do like numbers yeah, i like math too um so let's jump into your your 10k summers yeah well what was what was that like big jump how'd you hit 10k well the 2020 obviously was there, there were multiple factors that contributed to that. First of all, it was the compound effect of multiple years of selling books and a lot of experience, right? And I think like throughout, starting with fourth summer on, roughly I was doing the same thing, um, tweaking little things here and there, but for the most part, it was the same all of like across the board. And I, f I was feeling like there is one part of, puzzle missing and i didn't couldn't just figure quite yet what what it was so it was 2020 summer we all know it was covid i got stuck in uzbekistan for like four months or three whatever and we're doing online sales because i was keeping my in touch with my customers throughout the year when i was calling my customers it was very easy call because people knew exactly who i am they were excited to hear from me. They were excited to talk to me on the phone and they were excited to give me referrals. So back then I was like, man, I did all the Facebook stuff, but I was not doing exactly how, the, not the smart way. I was posting stuff. I was asking people to post the picture with me on my Facebook page instead of them posting a picture with me on their personal page. Mm. Or even better, I didn't ask them to share the picture from my Facebook business page to their personal page. That was one piece that I was missing. And when I got to the States that summer, first of all, we were super grateful for the fact that we can actually be in america and sell books and knock on doors and talk to people because most of our people are first years are student leaders all of our people that we've been training for years couldn't come out to sell books because of COVID. 
So we're very grateful and thankful for the opportunity that we've been presented with. Plus, people were home. It's really easy to sell books when everybody is home, when everybody feels the pain of education, when everybody wants to have resources at home to help their kids. And you become popular extremely fast. However, and plus on top of that, I sold all the way till December, from mid-July until 30th of November. So that helps a lot as well, having some extra weeks. You cheated. No, not really. First time when you sell 10,000 units, it takes a little bit longer than the next few times. But the next summer, it was a regular summer. And in 2020, it was Washington State. And in 2021, I literally just crossed the bridge into Idaho and Lewiston. And that was a very different experience in terms of just like how things were done in Idaho. Everybody was going to school in Idaho. Everybody was doing extracurricular activities in Idaho. Everybody was not home in Idaho. Everybody was hanging out at the river and da 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 And I can go on and on and on. But just because of the good foundation from the previous year, and knowing how things work and being able to adapt quickly, I was just fine the next summer as well. And that took me about, what, 15, 16 weeks to sell 10,500 units. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you could go back to like your younger self mm-hmm. in order to like cut that time that kind of like took you to start hitting 10,000, mm-hmm. what would be like that one piece of advice that you'd tell your younger younger pasha skinny pasha oh yeah definitely be more coachable like quite literally do every single thing that they say literally i was not i was not the most coachable person to be honest Mm -hmm. especially like i thought that i know it better coachability is the key Mm-hmm. Cool. and just do it and don't yeah just do it and as as a european that's been in the job for 12 years what makes european europeans do you like, like what what is it about them like why if i open up the starbook the top 10 like producers are like all europeans except for roy mm-hmm. like so like what makes them like so so good at this Hunger. Yeah. Hunger. We're hungry to to do well. Mm-hmm. It's just it just makes sense. You ask I think Matt Ross has a part and I, I got it from first time when I've heard about it, it was from Josh Ignis about Matt Ross having a part and Josh does it as well on why Europeans do better than Americans, something along along those lines. And I might be wrong, but he, you can ask them directly to quote them. The, the quote goes like, when you ask a, when you tell about the, this program to Americans or to, to, 
yeah, to Americans, the first quite 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 often first question that comes up is, how many days off do I get? And when you show this program to a European kid, first question that comes up is, how many hours can I work? It's almost like a little like difference in mentality, right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially nowadays. And it's because of it's is there are multiple factors and life wise and stuff, but just generally speaking, um with everything going on in the media, everything going on with politics and stuff, people just they seek comfort while people who do well generally speaking they seek discount discomfort mm -hmm. you know right um i was gonna ask besides like the facebook thing like technically is there something that you kind of like got better at that helped you develop an edge over other people when it came to selling i just raised my belief and the reason, the way I raised it is when I was calling my customers to check on them, to check, to kind of get referrals. But the reason for the call was initially to tell them, hey, let me check how you guys are doing so I can read them all the books to you, you know? So when I was actually calling my customers and they was like, yeah, we've been using the books a lot. They've been super helpful. And they were telling me that, over and over again it's like yeah we love the books we love the ca we love the projects we we love the whatever whatever they love about the books and every single person told me that books are great we love them and if they did not tell me that they're great i was like have you used them there's like nope okay let's get on the phone i'm or on the zoom i'm gonna re re demo you how how to use them and when I would do that, people would be like, oh my goodness, this is so awesome. We love it. This is so good. Mm -hmm. You know? So that was, I was like, right after that, going and actually knocking on doors. And I was like, holy smokes. Like, I know that works. If your kid's going to use it, it works. Trust me. I just got on of the phone a month ago with like 50 of my customers and they love it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It seems like you really care about your customers. I do. I feel like it's not not saying that I don't care, but like I've never went through the trouble of like calling them and trying to like see if everything was okay and whatnot, which I feel like it's something I should definitely be doing. Um, how do you turn that transactional relationship to a, like a personal one? Um. That's a good question. It's just, it's just doing the right thing. You know, it's like, if you care about somebody, it, I mean, like, in my mind is like, if we provide a service, I don't want to provide a five-star service. I want to provide a seven-star service because people will come back to that. People will come back 
and ask for more business. They will bring you more business. And if it might, it might not be me selling the turf two, three, five, ten years from now. But whenever a kid shows up in that territory selling after me, people will be excited to see that bookman or a book girl. It's like you're providing through providing a phenomenal service to your customers, you are providing a great service to a future book kid. You know, so I sold over people who sold a lot of books and who did a great job with their customers. And it was a blessing to sell over those people. And I sold over bookies who did not do such a good job with their customers. And it was not as much fun. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you, you need to determine for yourself what are your standards of what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. Mm -hmm. And if you do stuff on, like, for example, I'll never lie to my people. That doesn't matter if it's in recruiting, if it's any, any time, right? Like when people ask me like, so you are telling me that if we get the books, kids will get straight A's. I was like, no, I didn't say that. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that these tools will help your kids get better in school, save time, and they can get the homework faster and quicker, but it's not a magical wound, right? It will not make the homework done by itself. Mm -hmm. You will make homework a whole lot easier and faster if you use it. But if you don't, it's like, what is the point? Yeah. So, you know, determine what is right and what is wrong in your for you that you're generally going to believe in and just transfer that to the book field. And I do think I treat, uh, let me put it that way. I'm treating all, every one of my customers the way I would like my mom to be treated. Mm -hmm. I can completely resonate with that because during during my first summer uh, last summer, I went through I went through something like that where I just it just something something on me just clicked. I was just thinking, okay, there's people selling in Texas. If someone were to knock in my house, and my mom were to open the door, how would I want that book guy to talk to my mom? Mm -hmm. Right, and then I kind of like pictured it. I got the idea of it. I'm like, okay, then I have to be that way with every single mom. Because right. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're we're knocking on like people's houses, you know. And it's it. I feel like it's a very intimate thing mm -hmm. for someone to let you in, especially as a stranger, because their mm -hmm. first thing they should worry about is taking care of their kids, taking care of their family, right? So mm -hmm. I feel like we have a great responsibility when we work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of like I get that responsibility when when you when you talk I get that you have that idea on you, and it feels like a lot of the top producers have that mentality. Absolutely. So what made you? How how what happened after that switched in your brain? I I I basically it just turned like honestly the I was just at peace. I, I've talked to uh, Roy, Roy, we, we kind of went into like the state of flow into that. I just started like hitting like flow where time would pass before I knew it is already like 7 p.m., 8 p.m. 
I was having fun with the families. It, it generally stopped being like a selling job. And it was kind of like, hey, like I'm here, like I'm showing the books. We all had fun. We we're all laughing. And before I knew it, like I started hitting 500, almost 600, like back to back to back to back. But I don't know what happened. And maybe you can help me out with this. Like there was like basically that switch turned off. I don't know if it's ever happened to you like throughout through like a summer or not. I, I didn't know how to bounce back from that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Uh, yeah. How did it feel when you started being in the flow? It was it was it was it's a completely different thing. I swear to God, it's it's so weird to describe. It's hard to describe, but I know like you you've been there, right? It's easy to understand it when, when someone else has. It's it's crazy. It's like you completely forget everything. It's it's fun. It's fun. Do you actually forget everything or you actually focus on the right on the things that you are supposed to be doing? I guess that in a way, since you focus on the right things, you completely forget about everything else. Yeah. But it it's fun. It it's it's hard to explain. But um that's definitely my goal. I there was definitely moments where I was hitting it and then I would like, like lower it down and then hit it and then lower it down. So I just want to stay consistent when it comes to that stuff. Mm -hmm. right? And I want to like, just that's the moment I hit the book field, even right now, I just flip the switch already and then just have it like flipped. And even if I can't just like translate it into my day to day life. Yeah. Huge, huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're almost towards the end. Do you have any more questions, Ray? Well, my question would be, you said that you, that switch happened your first summer. What week was that? It was like my ninth, maybe 10th week. It's, it was towards the, towards the end. And I talked to Jack about it. I, I, I hated that I wasn't able to finish strong. Hmm. Okay. Well, what do you do now in order to change that what what did you now in order to finish strong next summer and the next summer and the next summer um oh well, i don't know how many more summers i would tell i'm doing okay. this one. so okay. let's not jump ahead of ourselves <laughs> okay <laughs> um no nah, but um i feel like something it was just a mentality thing so i'm trying to like catch it whenever i can so for example, I've been starting going, I've been going to the gym consistently recently and towards the end, it gets tiring. You know, you don't want to do as many sets or you don't want to do as many reps or you don't want to like bump up the weight. So now like I catch myself whenever I get to those moments and it's like, no, you gotta like finish strong. And I feel like those little things can help me out in the summer. But besides that, I would like to ask you what, what is something that I could do to, to help me like finish strong? You're doing great. That's any physical stuff. That's the easiest way to start anything. You know, going to gym, you don't really have to put in. I mean, yeah, you do have to focus and stuff, but to start something physical is a lot easier than to actually start something to do mental or especially emotionally. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're going to gym and you're bumping up the weights and you're going for and just do one more, whatever it is. One more pound, one more rep, one more set, one more whatever, whatever it is, just one more. Mm -hmm. And that will become from 
you know, it will it will translate into the into the summer automatically. Again, it's not about selling books, right? It's not about selling books. It's about life. It's about how we live our life, Renato. It's about how we do things on daily basis. Because ultimately, like whenever you go to Walmart or a restaurant or a, you know, pickup game of whatever sports you do, or you go to even to the gym, nobody gives a shit how many units you sold. You tell them, I'm a Mort Adler club producer, or like, I'm a president's club producer. People will look at you and they'll be like, what? Are you okay? Like, can we help you somehow? Nobody gives a damn. But what people do care is who you are. Mm-hmm. Generally, ge- generally, not every time, but generally, if you look at the high producing people, they have, it's a combination between like being cool and at the same time being humble and at the same time being focused, like really driven, really, really driven. People who, and there are people who didn't, I, I have examples of people who barely sold any books, but they're so great. I have respect for every single person who even had a boss to hit the, the even sales school. Just to take up, take on the responsibility of finishing your first summer, it's a huge deal. All the rest is, it, it comes with experience. But going back to initial thought is, it doesn't matter how many units you sell. It matters who you become in the process of selling those units. Mm-hmm. The waitress will not give a shit about how many units you've sold. What she will give a shit is how you treat her and how much of a tip you leave. I'm kidding. But like, <laughs> <laughs> and not. but she will, um, she will care about who you are and how you treat her. The person at the front desk, when you, go and say hi to check in at the hotel, they will care who you are and how you treat them, not who, how much money you make, right? A business partner, a any business conversation, people will not care of your past. They care about how you treat them right now. Dave Kozer is great at this. He always says that, you know, people will never remember facts. People will never remember data people will never remember even parts that they listen over you know different events but they will remember how they felt mm-hmm. that's tough to hear because i'm a very data-driven guy i know i feel you man <laughs> you're too you're too <laughs> well, well um thank you so much pasha for giving me some of your time to be here and talk to you to us about your experience renato absolutely it's always my pleasure and let me know if i can help in any way appreciate it man thanks bye have a good day thanks for listening to this conversation with pasha hope somebody out there learned something from this that is always the goal if you guys enjoyed make sure to follow in order to be up to date with our next conversation thanks for listening hope to see you next time